Talk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, Sezzle, and Silk. The Talk Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is November 17th. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we are here once again to discuss all the headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. And joining us today, back for their regularly monthly appearance, regular monthly appearance rather, <laughs> are the AM Consumer and Retail Groups, Jonathan Sharp and Billy Christensen. Welcome, both of you. Jonathan, welcome back. Um, how are you doing today? Are you ready for a wonderful Fast Five? I'm very happy to be back with you. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Chris. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Kind of winter's come here, so you need something to warm me up. But I'm pretty sure the panel will do that, <laughs> I, right? I think the yeah. topics today might do that, they're, Jonathan. They're pretty hot. It's snowing outside, Jonathan. Jonathan, how many appearances is this for you now? What is this? Three, I, four? I think this might be three. It might feel like 30 to you guys, but I think it's three. Never. No, Never. no. You're one of our favorites, man, for sure. Well, Jonathan, give those who might not know you or might not have listened to previous podcasts that you've been a part of, give them a little background on you and your role at AM, please, if you would. Of course. Thank you. So I am a uh, partner managing director at uh, Alvarez and Marcel's Consumer and Retail Group. Uh, I've worked in retail probably for too long than I care to remember. Uh, amongst other things, I've done a lot of work in grocery and for uh, a and I lead our work on consumer sentiment and our uh, six monthly consumer sentiment survey. Excellent. Um, it's always a great survey. We usually get to sit down with Jonathan to talk about those. So uh, check those out if you haven't already. And Billy, you're you're a first timer here. Why don't you uh, tell I us am. a little bit about you and your role at AM? Well, thanks for having me. I hope this is my maiden voyage and not my only voyage. Uh, oh, right. yes. great point. Um, but I, so I am, I've been with uh, the ANMCRG team now for a couple of months. Um, my, my background, I was an industry operator for 20 years before making the switch over to consulting a few years ago. Um, and then have not looked back since my my change to consulting. So um, you have worked with retailers, large and small consumer, uh, as well as on the branded side of the world. Um, but really excited to uh, to be here today. Thank you all so much for having me. It's great yeah. to have you, man. It is. I know. We're excited. Do you have a headline you're most excited about this week, Billy? I do. You do? do are you going to Are you yeah. going to give us a tease what it might be? No, let's let the people wait. He's let's, keeping let's, let's us build in the, suspense. Let's build the suspense. They'll just be able to tell from your exuberance about the topic. All right. Yes. I love it. I love yes. it. That's, that's yes. what we like. That's what we like about this show. All right. That's perfect. Chris, you're at home today. Um, yes, are I am you, at home today. Are, we got in late from Dallas last night. Are you uh, ready to rock these amazing headlines that we have today? I am for sure. A hundred percent. I'm I'm pretty excited about it. It's been a big week though, Ann. We went to SPS. Yeah, the first article published in the Wall Street Journal too. Yeah, thanks, Dell and Nvidia. If you're listening for that, that was that was a yeah. rare. That was a that was a pretty cool feather in the cap this week as well. But yeah, let's get to the headlines. So today's fast five headlines are brought to you with the help and support of Manifest. Manifest is the who's who conference in supply chain, and it's January 31st to February 2nd in Las Vegas. OmniTalk fans, don't forget you can still save $200 on your registration by heading to Manifest. Slash OmniTalk. That's M A N I F E dot S T slash OmniTalk. 
All right, and in today's Fast Five, we've got news on Gap launching a store on Amazon, TikTok piloting in-app commerce in the United States, Nike's launch of dot swoosh, which I just like saying, and dot swoosh. Of course, of course. Swoosh. Victoria's Secret's new fit tech partner. But first, we take off with big and pun intended news out of Target this week, Anne. I love when you can get a pun in there, Chris. Just oh, it won't be the first. It won't I be the, it'll be, it'll be, it won't be the last, I mean, Anne. It's just the first of many more. Everybody's well aware of this. So let's get to it. So headline number one, Target last week in advance of dismal Q3 earnings announced a new larger 150,000 square foot format. So according to Retail Dive, the format will be its primary development focus in the coming years, while it will still continue to open stores of other sizes as well. The extra square footage includes five times more space for the backroom fulfillment than a traditional Target store has. And the format also has space for more merchandise assortment, including room for expanded food and beverage selection, according to Target. Lastly, the company also pointed out to years, quote, years of years. Yes, we we have no idea what they're talking about of research behind the new design and this larger store strategy. Jonathan, we're going to go to you, our seasoned veteran here. Uh, what are we supposed to be making of this headline? Is this like the real deal here? Is this just PR trying to pump everybody up before the, the earnings report came out this week? What are your thoughts? Well, uh, Big Box is back, right? Um, <laughs> uh, it ne- did it ever go away? But we're allowed to talk about it again. Um, yes. So, look, here's my uh, view on this. Uh, Well, firstly, I guess to your first question around, was this just a kind of a cookie to throw to the street because of some bad earnings? It's quite a risky one for that, right? Because it implies capital intensity. So um, you would actually not be happy as an analyst uh, with a company that's having earnings trouble then saying our capital intensity is going to go up. So I I can't imagine it's that. First of all, my reaction was, as I said, which is, whoa, big box is back. Uh, Flares will be back. And, uh, you know, I'll be fashionable again. Um, But um, Flares are back, Jonathan. That's like, (laughs) I mean, that's what you should be buying right now. I know. I realized, as I said it, which I just kind of out of myself. (laughs) Let's not talk crazy, Jonathan. You're being fashionable. That's that's ludicrous. Okay. I'm so off the zeitgeist. It's unbelievable. But um, uh, look. So first of all, I thought, right, okay, so it's big box. Where are they putting the space? Uh, Are are they actually going to crack grocery at last? Mm -hmm. Uh, Are they going to get rid of this kind of quite problem I've always thought they had, which is they're quite compartmentalized, which is it's quite difficult to shop all of the stuff that they try to be credible and authoritative in. But the more I thought about this, I wonder actually if this is not the return of big box stores, this is actually the expansion of kind of dark stores and fulfillment centers. It, this is a fulfillment center play, isn't yeah, it? This, this is a 24-hour fulfillment, compete with Amazon Prime delivery and do a bit of extra retail on the back, probably um, with an attempt to crack grocery because that drives traffic. Um, so that was kind of my sense. And the, the other thing that I was thinking about was the other reason I can't think it's a kind of pure retail big box play is that a lot of the messages coming out of our consumer sentiment survey post COVID and continuing is that consumers are uh, consolidating their shop. Mm -hmm. uh, And therefore, you know, are uh, Target really going to pick up the sort of the marginal grocery shopper 
uh, by with them fragmenting their shop. I'm not so sure. This feels to me like an Amazon Prime play. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. I agree completely. I think, you know, it's only 20,000 square feet in the grand scheme of things. So and most of that, I presume, will be going to, you know, back of house. That's that makes sense as they're expanding distribution centers, they're expanding sortation centers. But Billy, what are your what's your take here? I, I agree with Jonathan. I thought my thoughts Im- immediately on this were this is all about a, a DC you know, yeah. type m- setup. The one thing I will say that did excite me from the article was the picture, and which I'm guessing is from that store in Houston that they yes. were, you know, mm-hmm. that, that the article mentioned, the covered bays as a as a pickup point. Right. That as a consumer got that gets me excited because too many times I've done that in inclement weather, and that's not a great experience yes. for the store associate or for the customer. So if that's part, if that's baked into what their, you know, what their plans are, I, I think that's super, and I actually think that that's a, a positive, mm-hmm. you know, for them, and will will be a differentiator because I haven't, at scale at least, seen anybody else attempt that. Um, so I think that would be a really big differentiator for them if that's if that's you know baked into what they're trying to do. Yeah, that is it is a a grand architectural gesture for sure. I mean, the likes of which I think, you know, we've started to see at HEB. Chris and I went down to their Frisco store last week. They have the the big covered awnings. But yeah, you're right. Like even Walmarts are are quite, quite small when you compare it to that rendering that we saw at the Houston store. But Chris, you have some strong opinions here. We'll go to you next. and, And I'd like you to share what you think about this this announcement. I do. I think there's some subtle points that you can pick up in this announcement too, which I think are really interesting. I agree with both of what Jonathan and Billy said. Like it, it seems like it's a fulfillment play. It's a, it's a micro warehousing play for the most part, because you're right. It's an incremental 20,000 square feet, which on a hundred, 125,000 square foot box really isn't all that much extra space. But, you know, I think it's funny, the story to me, because like, honestly, like how many of these can they actually build? They have like 2000 stores already throughout the country. Like the incremental value of these has got to be relatively small on the sales side. It's only got to be for a distribution play to the point. Mm-hmm. The other counter to me is that in the headline is what it implies about the small store strategy, because, you know, they were big in the small store thing for a while. Now they're saying they're going the opposite direction, which I think is a proof point, which we've been saying all along, which is the small store strategy is really a road to nowhere when you have that many stores already throughout the country because it's going to be smaller volume stores. You can only build so many of them. It's not going to drive significant growth and comp in the long run. So that's what I take away from it here, which begs another question to me, which is how is Target going to continue to move the needle on growth? There's Where's the dry powder in the keg at Target? They don't have a subscription program like Walmart Plus or Amazon Prime. They have no target technology services, a la like Walmart or Amazon does. They're not looking at that from a business to business standpoint at all from from what our sources are telling us. So like, you know, so my question is like, I think at this point, we've seen the height of what target can be during the pandemic when everyone was forced to be a one stop shop. And Brian Cornell, as lucky as he is, was the guy that happened to be at the dealer table at the blackjack table right when the dealer busted and so I think that's my question here is where's the growth coming from? It's not going to be a large format store. Yeah, Chris, I, I'm with you. I mean, for me, the biggest disappointment in this announcement was where's the tech? Where's the investment in, you know, checkout free 
a, a checkout free small format store, like taking mm-hmm. some of this 20,000 square feet and making it, you know, more convenient for customers to shop. Like, yes, you have curbside, but like what other investments are you making target? There was nothing that was discussed in this. And most of those investments, even though they're, you know, they're tech investments require some consideration from the infrastructural build out of the store. Like even, you know what I was surprised to see Billy was mentioning the overhang, like, Where's the Starbucks updates? Like, are they going to put a Starbucks right. next to curbside pickup now if they're going to be doing like Starbucks? To, like, none of that part is included in this. And I love, love design as much as the next person. We spent a lot of time on it when we were at Target, Chris. But I bet if you asked a Target customer, would they rather have, quote, plants and regionally sourced reclaimed wood? end quote, or a shorter checkout line at Target, they would choose the latter and right. that it was not even addressed here. And I cannot believe it. So wow. yes, better distribution Scaving play, it. but Scaving. I mean, come on, Target, come on. Jonathan, Chris. last word before we go to headline number two. Well, Chris, and to your point, it, it, the thing that struck me in the last few weeks was if you looked at the quarterly report, mm-hmm. reporting cycle, right? You could arguably make a case that Walmart is beginning to meet the battle with Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. You'd also have to make the case that Target's just missed the invite to the war, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's my point. There, yeah. there is clearly a battle going to be joined between Walmart and Amazon. Target just aren't there. Yeah. yeah. To your technology, to your point around kind of where's the growth, it was a it wasn't just their results, it was that it was the comparison relative to others. Yeah. Right. Then there's a difference between being being lucky and being good. And I think we're going to find out what what that means for Target here in the long run, you know, over time. But all right. Headline number two. Last Thursday, Gap officially launched its own store on Amazon. According to CNN, the new partnership with Amazon Fashion marks the first time that Gap itself is selling its products on the online marketplace. None of the Gap items are exclusive to Amazon. However, they will also be available for purchasing Gap stores and on Gap.com. Amazon said items from Gap Store will be included for Prime delivery. Billy, yes, for you. What do you think of this move by the Gap? Is it about time, or is this something they should never ever have considered doing? <laughs> How would you advise people to think about this question? I, I don't think my my first opinion on this is going to be a, a hot opinion at that, and that's <laughs> that this is this is going to benefit Amazon more than it's going to benefit Gap. Um, okay, this right for from a, from a marketplace perspective, right. Amazon makes money on it if something's sold through their, you know, through because this is really a marketplace concept. So right. that, you know, one is it benefits them. Two, this unfortunately for me just also rings hollow when it comes to Gap and a in an overarching strategy of where they're going. I mean, Gap is an iconic American brand. I, I mean, I think back to my my teenage years and and Gap was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and through the years, right, just it hasn't evolved, you know, and that's a well-documented, um, you know, well-documented occurrences. But I look at this and think, where's the strategy? Because all of the things that the gap has done over the years, especially in recent years, right, you look at the the, the, the tie up with Kanye West, you look at, you know, the gap home in Walmart, right? Mm-hmm. Things are just, it's so scattershot that this just being another thing to me, mm. what I'm, what's missing for me is where's the strategy? How does this tie into a strategy to, for the gap brand? This just to me looks like, again, it's, Oh, here's another thing. Let's go for it. Oh, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that this does good things for gap just because I, I still have a, a great affinity for the brand and for, and, and for the company. I'm just not sold that this is going to be beneficial to them at all. 
Interesting. I'm curious. And what do you think? Do you think this is a harbinger of more things to come? Or do you think it's more of like a scattershot move from the gap as Billy's describing it? Well, I think so. My I actually have a question for Billy before I get into my sure. my oh, analysis, okay. because I'm curious. I, I understand your perspective, Billy. But when does this make sense for a retailer? Like both for you and Jonathan, when you're working, you I mean, you you are operations backgrounds. But, and I'm sure a lot of people are thinking about this. We've seen several brands go to Amazon. When does it make sense for them to consider this as part of that strategy instead of being, you know, just a scattered, we'll try this, try that, be in Walmart? I, I've always taken the opinion that if if distribution is an issue for you or, or expanding distribution is an issue for you, then Amazon, whether it's a short term or a long term play, is is something that absolutely should be looked into. Gap doesn't have a distribution issue. Right. Um, Gap is so spread out and has so many has so many distribution centers across the country and has that network that they've got already. In fact, I mean, there's news right about them trying to leverage that as a mm -hmm. as an income right. stream. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't right. It doesn't in 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 the way I think about uh, retailers or, or big brand name retailers partnering with Amazon. It doesn't really fit the thesis that I typically look for, um, which is all all around distribution. Jonathan, what do you think? So just maybe a counterpoint. I, I don't disagree with much of what Billy said in terms of, you know, you'll you'll search for a gap strategy in vain over the last few months and years. But but one potential benefit and one area where it might make sense is it does allow them to now control pricing and get out of minimum advertised pricing problems with Amazon and their product through third parties. Mm -hmm. So I think that is helpful for them. You know, they can now manage being undercut by third parties uh, on Amazon. The other thing that I was thinking about to, in the spirit of this, you know, the way Billy posed the question of kind of, is this Amazon strength or gap weakness? Mm -hmm. The only slight thing it raised for me is what does this mean about Amazon fashion and Amazon basics? Mm -hmm. What's going on there? There's just raised a little question for me about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Jonathan, that's actually exactly what uh, I think my was was kind of my um, thought about this story when I first read it. I actually think that this might be a good play for Gap because I think you have Amazon Essentials, which is, mm -hmm. you know, the baseline. This is just standard stuff. You know it's going to be fast fashion, kind of cheaper product. I do think, like Billy was saying, like Gap's an iconic brand. Like you, you, there's a level of quality, I think, that mm -hmm. people have come to expect through the years that this kind of provides Amazon shoppers a good, better, best option to go to. And, you know, Amazon Essentials maybe being the baseline, but then Gap being a mm. little bit more durable, higher quality product. And then I think you do get the benefit now of as a Gap purchaser, like you they do have logistics, but you did have you have to wait five to seven days to get something from Gap right now. And so being able to get that product, that Gap product, not have to go into a mall in a couple of days, I do I think that there may be more value or there may be more strategy than it than meets the eye in this one. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And then we'll go to Billy, I'll go to you for the last word. But the thing I would add to what you just said, Anne, is if you actually look at how this shows up on Amazon, mm -hmm. it's very much designed for a basics like shopping experience. Like yes. the things you know you want to go get at the gap, because it's a search experience. They're, it's not inspirational at all. People go online, look no. at it. It's not inspirational at all. It's just the standard cut and dry Amazon experience. And it's a gap branded shop, which was totally not what I expected. So I think I think you're right. My point on the my point on it though is like. 
I just feel like Amazon's America's mall at this point. Like, why wouldn't you just distribute there? You know, like it's the same as paying a leasing fee to like one of the mall operators. Like, why wouldn't you just do this? Like, what's the downside in it at this point? Billy, last word. Yeah, I, and it's funny that you said that because actually the, the last point that or the last thing that came to mind in this is when I think about this as as potentially not beneficial for, you know, gap in a, in a financial sense is what is this going to do in terms of driving traffic to their stores? Right. This is to your, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. Amazon is America's mall at this point in time. Yeah. But the price of being in that mall is you're taking away from your owned your owned properties today. And what does that mean for for their future in brick and mortar retail? That's a good point. Um, and how is this going to maybe you know I they, the gap did go online 100 right in the UK in 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 recent months or, or in the last 12 months. Right. Yeah. I'm wondering how much of that experience has influenced hmm. the you know their decision here and is that is that foreboding um of what's to come for the gap brand in the united states yeah or other apparel retailers too all right wow fascinating man these topics are so meaty we could spend the whole show on each one of them but we got to keep rolling so and right. number three all right headline number three tiktok is piloting in-app commerce according to chain storage tiktok is officially testing an e-commerce feature called tiktok shop in the u.s after previously launching something by the same name in the uk and southeast asia TikTok is currently limiting sales of products on TikTok shop to invited U.S. retailers only, but plans to enable retailers outside the U.S. to participate in the American TikTok shop over time. News outlet Semaphore also reports that the pilot of TikTok shop in the U.S. is part of a larger effort by TikTok's parent company, China-based ByteDance, to establish a robust live stream shopping business in the U.S., which it internally refers to as Project Aquaman. That is Excellent. so great. Uh, yes. Billy, let's go to you here. Uh, will TikTok find success in in-app shopping in the U.S. when seemingly Instagram and Facebook have stalled on it? Um, or to our last headline, does the U.S. already have its own super app and it is called Amazon? Yeah, I, I think reading this story and doing a little bit, a little bit of you know research into this, it it where I'm at with this is I want to know more. Um, I think there's there are the seeds of some things that could be really innovative and I think futurists have been talking to to the you know to the possibilities here for some time, but is TikTok Shop going to somehow some way be linked to the content on on their on this on the app? So in other words, I'm looking at at an influencer and I'm able to say, "Ooh, I like that that shirt. I want to buy that shirt." Is that going? Is that where this is going, or is this just another marketplace? If it's just right. another marketplace, I think the the road to success is very steep for them and yeah. very rocky. Um, but if somehow they're able to bring in that experience of the content and the shopping, I think that is a massive unlock. Um, I don't know how they would do that, frankly. Uh, but if they're able to to do that, I think that there's something really big there. I think also as part of this, if I'm QVC and HSN, I'm paying attention mm -hmm. because right there are the the pioneers of the live streaming shopping streaming shopping yeah. experience and. Their customer is as much involved with tech and in, in, in their tech as as somebody who's on TikTok. So I hope they're paying attention, too, because I think that the applications here could be significant. Chris, what are your thoughts here? You got. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I would I would emphasize what Billy said and add to it. Like, I, I don't actually as he's talking, I'm sitting here thinking, I don't think this has a chance in hell of working because. The U.S. retailers are going to be smart about how they put content in social media. It goes back to what Vincent Yang at Firework has told us time and time again. Like 
the retailers are going to take control of it through shop shoppable video. And they're going to put that content on their sites and then they're going to farm it out to the social media networks, which directs the traffic back to them. That's how this is going to play out. So to the point, it's just going to become another marketplace. And if it's just another marketplace, we all have that already. And it's called Amazon. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I just don't see it. And that's, you know, government fears aside around TikTok too. I just don't see it happening right now. Um, And it's also... The other point I make too, it's not good for Facebook either, but um, that's a whole nother side tangent that we don't need to go down. But that's my opinion. Like, I just, I don't, I wouldn't bet on this right now. I don't think it's okay. going to work. Okay. I know. I, I I might have a, some scenarios to run by you, but Jonathan, um, what, what are your, what are your consumer sentiments that you've been doing over the last several months? What are they telling you about, about live shopping and, and what do you think about this story? Yeah, well, here's uh, here's another point, actually, to add to this kind of skepticism. Um, very hot off the press, published yesterday, uh, we looked at, uh, we always ask about consumers' use of channels. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, social commerce, of all channels, uh, options that we give, social commerce saw the biggest fall in a six-month period. In fact, wow. it, it halved in popularity amongst mm-hmm. our respondents it moved from being in the top five ranking of channel choice to number 11 out of 12. Wow um so and I think there are some underlying economic reasons behind that which is the consumer is continuing to retrench into basic needs and you know you can't buy your gas and groceries over insta um by their very nature social commerce products tend to be very discretionary somewhat indulgent um, and so it's failing. Uh, it's really suffering in this economic environment. A C- couple of other points on this specific. I think TikTok is probably one of the hardest channels to do this, which is that mm. users on TikTok really value authenticity. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a very difficult, it's a very difficult media uh, to interrupt. I'm struggling with that uh, a kind of sort of technical kind of getting in the flow kind of aspect. The only other thing I'd say is it does highlight one of Amazon's weaknesses, which is Amazon is still not social, Mm -hmm. right? It's very functional. You know, they tried that, uh, what was it, that sort of shop along with me on the summer prime day on Twitch, you know, Mm -hmm. should I choose this or this? And you get your, your, your friends involved, but they've really only dipped their toe in it. And so it is interesting that people keep kind of coming at them from the social aspect. Um, and I do think that is a vulnerability uh, of Amazon. We called it America's mall. Mm-hmm. It is, but it doesn't have the coffee shops and the Dunkin' and the places to hang out. It's, it's kind of kind of boring. It's, it's a boring mall. So um, that- has the movies. Remains. It does. That's that's its ended around on the social media play is the, is the streaming and the NFL package and stuff like that. But yeah. But Anne, what do you think? I, I think the the things that Play devil's were, advocate. I know you. Want yeah, to. I think the things that we're missing here are one that I agree, Jonathan, like authenticity is important, but you also want the option. And right now, TikTok is doing this. They partnered with Shopify a while back and they are allowing especially those smaller to medium sized businesses to enable transactions, you know, in Shopify or taking them directly to their Shopify stores, which I think makes sense here. We are forgetting about the very powerful nature of influencer marketing, especially for those local boutiques, like the smaller businesses that leverage this platform as their number one source of marketing. This is how they're getting their products out there. They're using localized micro influencers to help build this audience. And so I do think that this makes sense there. 
I agree with what Chris you were saying. Like for larger retailers, I don't think this is going to make a dent, and and therefore will it make a big enough dent in TikTok and in commerce and TikTok overall? Because they're still going to use TikTok as a traffic driver, these larger brands, but they're going to be more focused on bringing consumers directly to their own sites. the The last point I would make is. Now, the e-com fulfillment centers that TikTok is opening makes so much more sense to me. I'm curious to hear what you guys think. But I think now that we're seeing like TikTok's, TikTok's you know, abroad influencers, content creators cannot ship product over here. They cannot take part in this yet. There's going to be a lot of like careful regulation around what they can import into the, the uh, U.S. And so I think that what we're going to see here is exactly what Tony Shan of Alibaba is doing with Tmall, where they're creating consolidated distribution centers. They're allowing these overseas uh, manufacturers to hold product here so that when they flip the switch and start letting those international retailers be on the platform, they have it, it, like quick distribution there. And that's how TikTok's going to kind of, um, you know, make some cash here, really get into the commerce market. But Billy, yeah. you've been you've been nodding along for a while. So yeah. wrap up, wrap, wrap us up here. So I'll give you one thing I like and one thing that that, that I, I don't like. The one thing I do like is that in, in the spirit of meeting customers where they are, this does do that, right? Mm-hmm. The, if somebody is on TikTok and spending a lot of time on TikTok, there is a demographic that you are meeting where they are, which which I think is only a good thing. Um, the thing I don't like, and I'm actually gonna gonna counterpoint to what you were just talking about in terms of the distribution center. I actually don't like that play, hmm. um, and I I don't like it because they're not a distribution company; they're a tech company. I would much rather them be a conduit mm-hmm. to to it than otherwise. And and you think about the the idea of the micro influencers, things like that as well, and using more localized sources. I think that routing it to them for fulfillment for them there's a value if i'm a small small regional or, or just a, a one you know one shingle store of fulfilling that order and creating that customer connection that get that gets robbed from me if if i'm not the one handling that and so i i actually don't like the the fact that they're investing in distribution centers i really would much rather see them stick to their guns as a as a tech play yeah. All right. That was that was kind of our thought. It was my thoughts last week. Anne's playing the contrarian. We were ta- we were joking for those listening. We were joking beforehand on the show, like who is going to play the contrarian card here amongst the the four of us. And and I think Anne wins it on TikTok. Anne's <laughs> continuing to take the contrarian stance on TikTok against uh, our prevailing thoughts here. But let's keep rolling. Headline number four: Nike launched Dot Swoosh, a marketplace to collect and trade virtual products, according to Retail Dive. Registration to join dot swoosh can't stop saying that begins in November and Nike will invite a larger group of individuals to join over the course of the year. The platform is enabled by Web3, of course it is, the concept of a new version of the internet based on blockchain and allows Nike members to collect and co-create virtual objects like jerseys and shoes. Jonathan, my question for you is simple. Did Nike just do it again? I have an inkling that if anyone's going to monetize the metaverse, mm-hmm. this, these might be the guys, you know. Yep. Um, and there's a whole bunch of reasons. And I'll be honest, I haven't kind of completely kind of formed them into a perfect thread. But there are a few things going on that I think um, give them a significant advantage, right? So the first thing is is sneakerheads, Right. I mean, if you can't get the real deal, then get the NFT version. Right. And I am very confident, not being one myself, but I am very confident 
that people will trade serious dollars for the NFT version of a shoe they can't get hold of. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing is, is this is uh, uh, this is a product ecosystem that already has a kind of customization, you know, Nike by you. Um, there's a value and an expectation of customization and you can have a lot of fun uh, kind of customizing in the metaverse. I, I have a bunch of, I'm a runner, I have a bunch of Nike Pegasus by you, different colorways. I go and choose which colorway I want to run in depending on the weather. It's all very sad, but anyway. Um, so We're now I need know. a photo of that, Jonathan. Yeah, I'll show some... I'll, I'll, my running shoe wall. I'll send you a photo. <laughs> yes, I um, uh, uh, so I now know I'm going to spend hours basically doing the metaverse version. <laughs> and then and then who knows? I may choose to buy one or two of them because I right. like the look of them. And then the other thing that I'm pretty sure will be going on here is this is a way for them to crowdsource designs, right? and market test designs. Uh, and again, it just feels like the sort of market where it, it could work and it could take off. The The other thing that's that, that I'm interested in is how does this tie into virtual reality, right? So I, I see the design or the option on swoosh. And then can I see what it looks like on my feet? Can I see what it looks like on me? There's got to be a tie up there. You're already seeing people... Uh, kind of trying to customize shoes and 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 sort of present how they look on a run, et cetera, et cetera. Th- there's got to be uh, people way smarter than me are going to thread that needle, but this feels like it has potential. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. They're already doing that on Goat right now. It's it's something that yeah would be amazing for them to bring into this. Yeah, I mean, I I I I so you're so you're in a, you're on it. You think they've done a good move here? I think it's great too. Like I, the thing I love about it too is like it's all incremental profit. Like to me, it's just like a new version of the retail media network. Only it's a retail media network that only a few people can do to drive profit. And and Nike has the chutzpah to pull this off. To your point, so I think it's it's brilliant because they're cool. But Billy, what do you think? I I can't agree anymore with everything that's been said. I mean, the the thing about Nike, right, is they're in such rarefied air as a brand that there's very little that they can do that isn't going to turn out, you know, really well. I think they always have to intentionally do something to not turn out well. Um, I mean, because Nike's religion, it is a religion for yeah. people, and this is just another way to evangelize that that religion. I, I the thing that excited me the most on it, and Jonathan, you said this earlier, is what this does for crowdsourcing design. Because I think you look at the the the, the market of people after you know the, the this was you know bigger probably what ten you know ten to twelve maybe fifteen years ago, but people taking Air Force Ones or Dunks and doing aftermarket design to them, mm-hmm. and those shoes being sold for you know for an awful lot. I mean, I think an entire industry was born out of that. Mm-hmm. This brings that home to Nike, right? You're not going to have I think what was it Fukijama was one of the names of of one of those designers out there. I just remember that from Entourage. That was a you know one of the that that is not going to be out there anymore. That's going to be at Nike. That'll be in Beaverton. So right. um, I, I can't help but think to to your point, Chris. Yes, they just did it again. Right. And anything to add here? Or should we should we go I'm on just, to the last? I'm just going to be depositing all of my kids' allowance directly into his what his uh, swoosh dot yeah, swoosh not happen, Nike right? account. It's gone. Uh, the, that hit that generation is already going to go bonkers over this. I think it's it's I don't know. Nike's done it again. That's all there is to say about it here. Um, all right, let's go into headline number five. So Victoria's Secret wants to make finding the perfect bra easier. 
According to a press release, Victoria's Secret announced it is introducing a new technology to help customers easily find the right size when shopping on the Victoria's Secret app for their favorite Victoria's Secret and Victoria's Secret pink bras. Now, in partnership with NetVerta, the world's leading fit technology provider and creator of Verifit, spelled V-E-R-I-F-Y-T, uh, registered trademark, customers will be able to leverage the 3D scan technology to receive personalized bra size recommendations with no measuring tape needed. Uh, said Chris Rupp, Victoria's Secret's chief customer officer, quote, we are thrilled to offer this new technology to our customers to give them even more confidence when buying their favorite Victoria's Secret and pink bras, end quote. Jonathan, what are I, this might be a hard question for you personally to answer, but when you're thinking about this kind of fit technology, what are, what are your thoughts on the technology in general as it applies to multiple categories and then here for the Victoria's Secret customer? And how are you thinking about that when, when clients are asking you about this? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, in a way, this is somewhat related to the topic we just talked about, right, which mm-hmm. is using a kind of a virtual and augmented reality technology in some way. Um, to either enhance the design process at the start, or I actually think in this case, to reduce the returns process at the end, right? So um, it's taking, it's just taking a kind of difficulty point away for the consumer. And I think the the other thing that makes it, I think, particularly relevant in this category, and as you correctly point out, Anne, I speak from the point of view of a consumer researcher rather than a user, But um, I've done quite a lot of research in this sector with consumers. And the one thing we do know that for a retailer of this type, if they get intimates right, then they drive an awful lot of loyalty across the rest of the range. So I can kind of see the quite strong kind of loyalty building it will drive. And like I said, improving the economics of uh, e-commerce through reduced uh, returns. The other thing I think for Victoria's Secret that it does is it it sort of emphasizes for them their functional benefits of the brand mm. as well as the sort of fashion indulgence elements of the brand. And, and that can't be a bad thing for them, you know, giving them sort of more legs to the stool yes. um, in terms of in terms of that attribute. So I I can kind of see it and I can see it particularly in this sector. I guess the only thing I'm fearful of is when Tommy John's start doing it for us guys. <laughs> hey, Savage by Fenty is already doing it for the men. Amazon's doing it for t-shirts. I think you're 100% right like, with your two points of, you know, reducing returns and just having confidence in fit regardless of the type of product because the fit for functional lingerie and the fit for other like just style and fashionable lingerie is completely different in a lot of cases but billy i don't know if you want to comment on that specifically but i know you had some comments earlier on so why don't you share with us what you're thinking my my knee-jerk reaction to this was fit virtual fit technology has been around for a while now is this the moment where it's finally going to hit um and 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 in pop in a popularity sense right um that was that was my first my first thought. I think the application, you know, to Victoria's Secret is is especially along the lines of function and everything else that Jonathan was just saying. I, I agree with that. I do have, though, as a husband and as a father of a daughter, a grave concern with this, which is how is it going to work? Because the photos needed for this, I would think, 
require a level of intimacy, pun, in, mm -hmm. pun intended or not, that security of the images that are provided to me is of paramount concern. Um, how are you going to do this and recommend a, a bra without a certain level of exposure in mm -hmm. those images, right? That That's of concern to me. But then also as, from a business perspective, uh, as a consumer, how are we going, well, what's the level of, of effectiveness of this working the first time? If it mm -hmm. doesn't work the first time, there's not going to be a second chance for, yeah. I would think, the overwhelming number of consumers here. Um, so if this doesn't if this doesn't hit a home run right away for consumers, it it's going to be unfortunately just more of the same with what a lot of these technologies have been. Um, my, my personal experience with with virtual fit technologies was underwhelming, at, you know, on its best day. Yeah. Um. So I, I that's those are the, those are the the additional I guess points I would bring to the table. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, fit technology has been around for a while. I do, I really believe, I mean, I've said this several times. I've, we had a, a conversation with Microsoft that we're going to be doing in a live event later today. But I, I think fit technology is going to be one of the most, uh, I guess, prominent technologies that we start to see over the course of the next year. I think you look at the experiences that Savage by Fenty has been able to provide in exactly what you're saying, Billy, like, they I did that test. I took it out like it is giving me a very like very high degree of accuracy when it's giving me a fit recommendation. And I think to address your point, I mean, I did the Victoria's Secret one yesterday just to try it out and see. We'll see what I, I ordered the recommendation. We'll see what happens here. But I think that the the other point of this is like it's not getting down to a level that's uncomfortable. Like it's it's a sports bra. It's, you know, tight fitting T-shirts and stuff. It, it will be a matter of how how precise the technology can get with, you know, a, a level that lots of people can be comfortable with. But right now, the alternative is a complete stranger coming in and measuring you with no shirt on. Like, this is it. Like, that's not that's an awful experience. It's not good right now. You're not getting good recommendations. So I think that the fit technology experience can only go up from here. And I think with Chris Rupp at the helm over there, like she loves to test things. We saw her doing all kinds of experiments at Albertson. So I'm excited to see what else she starts to do. And and kudos to her. She's the first one to bring, you know, fit technology to mass retail. Like this is going to be something really exciting, I think, as kind of an introduction. Chris, are you in agreement with me? I mean, are you what are your thoughts? You and Chris tests uh, a lot of things. So I'm, I'm a little more cautious on this than you are, I think. Okay. You know, I'll probably be the last point to cap it off here. I think like I think I think the point Billy makes is there's still a lot of grunt work that has to be done on the side mm -hmm. of the consumer to get the benefit of this. Where so I think Maybe this is like going to help push it over the edge to get it, you know, possibly figure out how to alleviate all those pressures on the consumer side. I hope so, because I think you're right. There's a lot of value to it if you can figure it out. But I, I still think it's going to take more time than than, uh, than 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 you're describing. But that's just my opinion. So I think we should close this show out. We're running long and let's get to the lightning round. All right, Billy. First question goes to you. Coors Light launched a nail polish made in partnership with LeChat Nails that mimics the can technology that turns from slate gray to Coors Light blue at a certain temperature. Billy, what is your favorite color changing product? Would it be a Coors Light can, perhaps a mood ring, or a hypercolor t-shirt? Oh, hypercolor t-shirt. <laughs> Did you have that's, one? That's, that, that's childhood right there. No, I didn't have one. And that's probably why I was so quick to say it, because I've never had one of those. 
I had a hyper color t shirt. It was not hyper color. Those were too expensive. So we just. You're, sti you're still we... hyper color, Ann. <laughs> All right. Amazon Jonathan is said to be piloting facial recognition as a tool to validate potential third party sellers on its website. Jonathan, what is the most memorable mask you have ever worn to hide your face from other people? <laughs> um, okay. Revealing my deep <laughs> imposter syndrome. Maybe it's the mask of professional competence I've worn for the last <laughs> 20 years of my career. Um, but, uh, uh, apart from that, there is, uh, one photo circulating of me dressed fully top to toe as a dragon chugging beers at an international rugby game. Um, and I'm trying to chase down all of the copies and destroy them. Two photos we need for the show notes, Jonathan, <laughs> oh my your God, shoe yes. wall and the dragon chugging beer at a rugby match. Okay, Jonathan, I have another question for you. Microsoft just launched a new app in Teams that allows colleagues to challenge each other to a game of Minesweeper, Wordament, Icebreaker, and even Solitaire. Which of these games would you reign champion in across your colleagues at AM? Uh, so I have a write in campaign for another game, uh, which is oh. I have huge confidence that were it Crossy Road, I would win. <laughs> what is Crossy Road? It's like the new version of Frogger. We gotta play Crossy Road. Uh, play, played, uh, yeah. it with my, played it with my daughter for years. She's better than me, but I'm pretty good. That's okay. Pretty good, man. That's pretty good. All right, Billy, let's close it out here. Stovetop brand is celebrating its 50th anniversary by reviving its stuffing pants campaign for Thanksgiving. The pants are available on Amazon and feature an extra wide stuffing print waistband. It offers 360 degree stuffing stretch technology. Billy, what is your favorite thing to scarf down at the Thanksgiving dinner table? I got to go with what my, my, I think my first reaction was, which is mashed potatoes, just nice. give me mashed potatoes and, and load them up if load them up or not loaded up. Just give me the mashed potatoes. Little, little gravy, little gravy. And is, and is cringing no, as you, you say that right now. Oh my God. <laughs> no. It's like her least favorite thing in the world. All right. Well, that wraps us up. Happy birthday today to Rachel McAdams, Danny DeVito, and to one of the most underappreciated Bond girls of all time, Sophie Marceau. And remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us, and it's just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at www.omnitalk.blog. That might have been one too many Ws, but I'm not sure. We'll have to go back and read the tape. Thanks, as always, for listening in. But before I give the close, Jonathan, if people want to get in touch with you at, a at the AM Consumer and Retail Group, what's the best way for them to do that? Of course. So you can email me at uh, jonathan.sharp at alvarezandmarsal.com. You can also go to our website, which is alvarezandmarsal-crg.com. And Billy, you should give your contact details. Yep. My uh, my email address is bchristensen, B-C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-S-E-N at alvarezandmarsal.com. And you can also find us on LinkedIn. All right. Awesome. For all those listening, please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. And be on behalf of all of us at OmniTalk, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the AM Consumer and Retail Group. The AM Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. 
CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so that grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit Takeoff.com. Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy-now-pay-later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit Sezzle.com. And finally, Silk. The Silk Cloud DB Virtualization Platform is a virtualization layer between your workloads and the cloud. It helps you scale your cloud without scaling your costs. Visit silk.us to learn more.